Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. It is Max Fun Drive, the one time of year where all of the shows on the Maximum Fun Network reach out to you, our beloved listeners, and ask you to become members or to renew or upgrade your membership and to make these shows possible. And we have an amazing show for you. In honor of Max Fun Drive, we are bringing you our first ever one-hour dead pilot. But don't worry, it's not a dry police procedural or medical drama. It's a really funny update of the beloved 80s TV show Greatest American Hero. Now, I know all of my fellow Gen Xers out there remember the show. But for those of you who don't, don't worry. You don't really need to know the original to enjoy this. The pilot's called Greatest American Heroes. And it was written by Andy Bobro writer and producer on Community, Last Man on Earth, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, many other shows. This cast was a really exciting one for me. It included Sam Richardson from Veep and After Party, Will Forte from Last Man on Earth and SNL, the legendary Stephen Root from Barry and Office Space and News Radio and Dodgeball, Rachel Harris from The Hangover and Reno 911, Romy Rosemont from Glee and The Avengers, just an incredible incredible cast. So you're going to be hearing from me more than usual this episode. I'm going to talk about all the cool gifts and rewards you can get for becoming a member and the reasons why, if you're listening, you should really consider supporting us by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. I'll be back in a bit, but for now, enjoy Greatest American Heroes by Andy Bobro. I'm here with Andy Bobro. Andy, um... Will you just uh, tell people a little bit about what we're about to hear? Uh, th- this is, t- um, it's, it's not exactly, I, I don't want, I don't like calling it a dead pilot because it, it's not dead in the sense that n- no one actually paid me for it and no one actually killed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but the story is uh, uh, a, a few years ago, a, a few years ago when I was working on Last Man on Earth with Will Forte, um, uh, a producer, uh, Seth Cohen, the producer from Lord and Miller, pulled me aside and said, "Hey, do you have any interest in this in rebooting this show, The Last Man on Earth? Because Twentieth has bought the rights to it." Wait, which looking... show? Oh, you mean? Uh, which... I'm sorry. sorry, that, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, do, do, yeah, do you, <laughs> he, said, he said, "Do you have any interest in rebooting, uh, doing a, 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 a the Greatest American Hero? Because Twentieth has bought the rights to it, and they're looking for a writer." And I knew of the show, I knew, but I hadn't watched it when it aired. And so I took a look at the pilot and it was, you know, it's so cheesy and beautiful. And I thought this is an amazing challenge. And I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. And then he said, I'm so sorry, I misspoke. They have already um, hired a writer. They're working, they hired a writer director. And I believe it was Carrie Fukunaga. I'm not positive about that. But as soon as I heard that, I was like, well, then they've done the right thing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I couldn't get it out of my because as soon as I watched the pilot, I had I, I, I meet, very quickly got like what I what I thought I could do with it and what how I wanted to rebuild the mythology to, to make it a real reboot. Anyway, I couldn't get it out of my head. And then that project went nowhere. I don't know if there was a script or how far it got, but I know that it didn't get made. And then I still kept thinking about it, but I was working on uh, I was very busy. And so um, I. I decided that what I should do is write it on spec and just uh, show it to them because they had already, I figured, well, they've already tried and failed. Uh, and so they're not asked and it didn't look like they were developing it. So I wrote it 
completely on spec. And then I showed it to, um, and then I, I, um, I uh, called my agent and I said, I have this thing. And, and uh, he said, well, let's talk to Fox. Let's talk to Michael Thorne about it. And uh, Michael Thorne said, oh, you're, you're just a couple minutes late. Um, we have, uh, we, we pr tried again and we're pursuing it and we sold it to ABC and that, that, and they did a, ver a half hour version of this show and they made a pilot for ABC that I heard good things about. And I don't know why it's not on the air, uh, but with, um, Hannah Simone, uh, in the lead. So I know that they've tried it twice and that they are aware of the existence of my spec. Uh, but I don't think they have any interest in trying it again. Maybe, maybe this table read will will spark their interest again. Uh, I'm gonna just I'm gonna guarantee that that's what's going to happen. Okay, you're on the hook. Yeah, you're on the hook for that. Okay. All right, <laughs> let's do this right now. This is Greatest American Heroes, the pilot written by Andy Bobro. We're in a beautiful bank. It's a normal business day, we're in Amsterdam, and suddenly flash bombs go off. Bursts of machine gun fire ricochet off the marble, fired by several bad guys in ski masks, rushing in and taking control with precision. They're shouting in Dutch, corralling customers and tellers. A nervous manager reaches down, fingers searching for the emergency button. He's almost got it when a gun shows up at his temple, held by the leader of the robber gang. Mark mine dag. Subtitle, make my day. The manager holds up his hands. The police don't get called, at least not right now. The robber moves the manager towards the safe, gun still at his head. The manager dutifully opens the safe. The other robbers quickly push all the hostages in and suddenly sirens, who called the police? It's a mystery for now. On the street outside the bank, several police cars have converged on the bank and dozens of cops are rushing to strategic positions. Right next to the bank, there's a little crappy looking antique shop. Three cops walk up and knock urgently. The owner is a bristly, shy, academic type, Afro-Dutch named Remy. He points to the hours on his door. The following is in Dutch and subtitled. Go away, I'm closed. Sir, there's a robbery. And I'm still closed. Please, sir, you have access to the utility corridor. We must get back there. They have hostages. All right, Remy don't touch anything. Sorry, I'm gonna take that back. Remy reluctantly unlocks the door. All right, don't touch anything. Everything is very valuable. Just no way in hell that that's true. Nothing in here looks remotely valuable. It's junk piled upon junk. The cops smirk at him as they walk in. Inside the bank, the robbers have broken into safe deposit boxes and are stuffing their pockets with banknotes, jewelry, etc. One hostage tries to sneak out and the robber blasts a dozen rounds into the ceiling from his Kalashnikov, scaring her back into submission. Back inside the antique shop, the police and Remy stand outside a padlocked steel door in Dutch, subtitled. No, 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 no. This is my private office. There's nothing in here. We only want access to the bank. Do you have something to hide? Drugs, maybe? We don't care. No, sir. Just don't touch my things. He begins to turn the padlock dial. Can you look away, please? The police roll their eyes and turn away. Remy checks that they aren't looking. And then he slides open a little secret panel next to the padlock, revealing a surprisingly high-tech iris scanner. Things are not as they seem. Remy looks into it as it scans his eye. As soon as the door unlocks, everything changes. The cops rush in and start breaking shit with no pretense. They're looking for something. Bastards! Tries to stop them, but the captain shoves him back. A cop finds what he's looking for, a dusty old ornate wooden box. 
there's a strange Asian looking symbol on the box. Viewers will remember this as the symbol from the greatest American hero. What the hell? The cop opens the box to reveal a perfect glass orb with undulating colored smoke inside, dancing otherworldly in its beauty. This is no ordinary antique. This is not of this earth. Remy looks at the cops. You are not the police. They pistol whip him unconscious. The captain talks into his walkie. We have the egg, get out. The head robber hears the message inside the bank and turns to his guys. Done, we can go. The robbers toss jewelry to the hostages on their way out. It's nothing compared to the bigger prize. Opening credits roll as we see the cops radio the robbers. The robbers exit the bank with no money and all the cops and robbers jump into their cars and speed off with the one thing this whole charade was about, the egg. And that's the end of the cold open. Act one, we're in Los Angeles on a commercial street, a nondescript office building among other nondescript office buildings. Inside a sea of drab workstations and serious office workers, the first clue about where we are comes from a computer screensaver, the CIA seal. As we snake through the space, we see hints of serious spy shit getting done. Someone scrubbing back and forth on an audio file, listening to a recorded phone call. Someone scanning a database of spy photos of terrorists. Someone's watching a moving dot on a map. One young woman, Sean Taransky, she tries to be buttoned down, but can't control her self-doubt. She's nervously walking with a busy woman who is obviously her boss. This is Kelsey Grant. I understand that, ma'am, but I passed my training and I believe I'm qualified for field work. I mean, I'm more than qualified for field work. Which is it, Sean? You believe you're qualified or you're more than qualified? Come on. I've basically been doing crossword puzzles for a year and a half. I was told if I put in my time breaking codes, I would be considered for field work. Well, you have been considered for field work, so promise kept on our end. Sean is deflated. But even though she's ambitious, we can tell she's not cut out for James Bond stuff. Trent Spate, a douche, walks up. Hey, Taransky. Trent. So you think you're ready to run with the big dogs? Yep. Oh, hey, I got an assignment for you. Are you going to say it's in your pants? No. Are you going to say it's in your underwear? Nope. Are you going to say it's in your penis? Please. Okay, what's the assignment? It's in your butt. And it was always going to be in your butt. And I would take a lie detector on that. Sean shakes her head and walks back to her desk and smells her armpits. Her cubicle mate, another low-level nerdy analyst named Yvette, turns to her. Hey, listen to me. You're doing good work here. I want to do good work out there. Across the sea of cubicles, we see a guy get off the elevator. He's an old cheesy guy. You can smell the cologne. This is none other than Bill Maxwell, the character played by Robert Culp from the original Greatest American Hero. It makes no logical sense that Bill Maxwell is still alive, but we'll get to the bottom of that soon enough. He's snooping around, looking for something or someone. Who is that guy? I've seen him around. Oh, that's just this guy, Bill Maxwell. He's been around forever. Ran some cheese ball operation in the 80s, you know, back yeah. when they would throw money at pyramid power and telepathy. No one talks to him. Don't talk to him. Bill Maxwell makes a beeline right for Sean's desk. Agent Tranny. Taransky. He leans in to examine the nameplate. That makes less sense. My sources tell me you do languages and codes. Can you crack this? He lays down a greasy in-and-out hamburger wrapper. 
On it is written a strange sequence of letters and numbers. Where did you get this? In and out burger by the airport. That's the one with the secret menu. I mean, where did you get the code? I have an asset in the Ruski consulate. There are certain things a man like me can obtain from a vulnerable female. Mm-hmm. Ruski, Ruski. What, what are you, 80? My age is classified, but I assure you all of my equipment is in proper working order now. Can you break this yeah. or not? She takes a look. It's slightly intriguing. Do you have a case number? A what now? Okay. If I'm gonna work on this, I need a case number to account for my time. <sighs> Damn place. He snatches up his hamburger wrapper. I'm offering you a chance to save the world. You don't want it, fine. He does want to save the world. Watching him walk away, she feels compelled. It's DNA, by the way. Excuse me? Your Ruski code, hmm. it's a DNA sequence. Where did you really get it? He writes down an address and hands it to her. Meet me at this location at 2300 hours and I'll show you. Hey, that's like an invitation to a sexual assault. That's like, hi, want to be groped? Come to the corner of whiskey breath and tits, please. I get it. You're a liver. Bring a gun if you don't trust me. You have one, I assume. And in the car later, Bill drives. Sean's hand is on her holster. Uh, you mind relaxing your grip on that thing? You're making me nervous. Why don't you just tell me where we're going? I have to show you or you'll never believe me. Okay, then I'll keep my hand on my gun. Fine. Fine. I'm an excellent marksman. I'm sure you're a regular Billie Jean King with that thing. The Cadillac pulls off the road in the desert in the middle of nowhere. This is the place. Okay, when is whatever is going to happen, happen? Midnight. By my watch, we've got about five minutes. Just then a bright light shines down on them and the car starts shaking. Nope, I'm slow. They look up, holy shit, is that a UFO? The ground is shaking, bright lights in their faces. Viewers will recognize this as an homage to the beginning of the greatest American hero. What the hell? What the hell is that? Calm down, just listen. And three, two, one. He points at the car radio. On cue, it lights up. We see the analog dial wildly flipping around from station to station, just like it did in the original series. Each station plays a different human voice, saying a letter or series of letters. A-A-G, G-T-G, T-C-T, T-C-A, G-C-T, G-C-C, A-G-G, T-C-T, A-G-A, G-G-C. It's the DNA sequence. Bill holds out the hamburger wrapper to confirm. What the hell is happening? Exactly what you think is happening. I mean, that can't be true because I think it's Close Encounters. Yeah, great flick. I saw it on the big screen. You probably watched it on a Tamagotchi. Return the egg. What does that part mean? No idea. I've been coming here every night for 30 years. They never said a thing. Then the signal just started up three days ago. Why have you been coming here every night for 30 years? It won't make any sense unless I show you. Do you trust me enough to come to my place? Absolutely not. And we cut to Bill's kitchen. She sits at his kitchen table, hand on her gun. He stands by his fridge. You ask why I've been driving out to that spot for 30 years. Well, 
Yeah. I've been waiting for those aliens to tell me what to do with this. He opens his freezer and pulls out something wrapped in foil. He hands it to her. She unwraps it to reveal a roast. A roast. Whoops. He puts that back in the freezer and pulls out a similar item. Here we go. And she unwraps that to reveal the suit, the iconic greatest American hero suit in all its cheesy glory. Halloween costume. This is alien technology. Watch this. He drapes the suit over the fridge, steps back, pulls out his gun and shoots it. They look at the suit, which has a bullet hole in it. And so does the fridge, which starts to spew Freon from behind. Damn it. Needs to be on him. Why didn't I figure that? Nope. First instinct was right. Headed home. Uber's coming. I'll wait outside. I, I swear this is real. I worked with this technology for years. Project Starlight. Look it up. Yeah, that's an easy no. She can't get out fast enough. Back at the CIA Los Angeles office the next day, Sean works at her computer. On her screen, we see that she is searching for Project Starlight. And it does indeed exist, but it's locked down tight. Everything she finds, project files, work orders, case details, everything involving Project Starlight is just a click away from an access denied. She sees Kelsey walking by. Hey, hey, Kelsey, um, this is probably dumb. What do we know about Project Starlight? Kelsey rolls her eyes. Do not talk to that nut job. It was a program in the 80s. It went for about three years and got canceled because it was dumb and America grew up. Why is it so classified? Because it was embarrassing. She walks away. Sean looks at her computer and tries a different tack. She searches the database for Bill Maxwell. Now we see something truly weird. A photo of Bill in a newspaper standing behind a cache of drugs and guns with Ralph Hinckley, the original greatest American hero, proudly standing there in his costume. And amazingly, Bill looks the same as he does today. Sean reacts, that's bizarre. She zooms in on a newspaper photo to check the date, September 19th, 1981. Oh, nothing, uh, Denzel. Oh, I know, right? Right. In the hallway later, Sean walks down a forgotten hallway. It's narrower, more claustrophobic down here. There's a mop and bucket sitting out abandoned. She finds Bill's office and walks in. His office is tiny and shitty. There's a sewage pipe running down the wall. How the hell old are you? He gets up and shuts the door behind her. Ageism is real. Okay, I saw pictures of you from the 80s. You must have been... You must have been 50 back then. No, all I can guess is my proximity to the suit has slowed down my cellular degeneration. Alien technology. Hmm? He shrugs. Sean takes a seat. I looked up that DNA sequence in 16 government databases. It's incredibly rare. Your guy, the guy in the picture. Ralph Hinckley. He had it. Of course. The suit learned his DNA. Now it won't work with anyone else. Well, there may be someone. Okay, three days ago, that exact sequence showed up in a lab report in Northwest DC. Some guy took a DNA test, probably for a custody hearing. And it's a match. Of course. The aliens monitor our system, so they must have seen the match, and that's when they started calling me. Who's the guy? He's one in a billion. 
we go to a courtroom. Byron Bell in his 40s is about as unlikely a hero as you can imagine. He sits in, sits in a dingy family court next to his ex-wife, Nisha. A tired old judge walks in with an envelope. Well, let's see this DNA test. Rips open a sealed lab report and reads it. Doesn't surprise him. Mr. Bell, I applaud your efforts to retain joint custody of your son, but the boy's mother has made it clear that she does not need or want you in the picture, and the DNA test is conclusive. You're not even the father. You're going to say that right in front of him? Come on, that's, that's just... I mean... We reveal their son, Marcus, who's eight. It should be obvious by his light skin and red hair that he is not Byron's son. I suspected. Nisha, I've been there since the beginning. You can just cut me out. You're not a role model. You don't have a job. You live in a crab hole. You expose the boy to at least three exotic dancers that we know of, and you use drugs recreationally. Okay, let me take those one at a time. As for the job, I do have a job. It's called Odd Jobs. As for the crap hole, it's called a deluxe bachelor. As for the dancers, pass. And for the drugs, also pass. So that's two out of four. That's called the mean. I hit the mean. I can't legally compel your ex-wife to share custody of a child who's not yours. Nisha, you and I didn't make it. But me and Marcus, we love each other. And more importantly, we like each other. Nisha looks at Byron's puppy dog face, then at Marcus. Marcus has the same expression. These guys like each other. Paul, you need to answer. If he needs anything, you need to be there. And if you can't be a role model, that's it. You have my word. Also, I think your Hulu password got changed. Uh, so if you look into that, uh, I'm, I'm binging New Girl. And uh, yeah, it holds up. We'll go to a DC street later. Byron walks up to his car and finds a ticket in the windshield. He looks up, waiting for him are Sean and Bill. And that's the end of act one. Okay, I'm back. It's Max Fun Drive, people. This is the one time a year where we put a lot of energy into letting you know how you can support the show as a member. So I am here asking you, will you please join us as a member by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Here's a fun fact for you. During last year's Fun Drive, 7.5% of our listeners became members. So first of all, thank you so much to that 7.5% of you. I'm figuring some of you are back listening this year. I'm not here to guilt anyone, believe me. But the other 92.5% of listeners, you know, you're listening to the show, you enjoy the show. How about supporting the show for $5 a month? which will also get you all of our bonus content. That's the video from all of our table reads. Plus you'll get to hear some, some dead pilot reads from previous years that are only available to members. So if you go to MaximumFun.org slash join, you can join us starting at $5 a month. If you're already a member, you can upgrade to a higher level of membership or boost to an in-between level. You can buy someone a gift membership. That person will also get access to our bonus content, plus the bonus content from every other Maximum Fun show. So if you've ever gotten a laugh out of one of our pilots, if it's ever made you smile, brightened your day, if you've ever learned something about television or writing or life from one of my interviews with writers, join today. Do it now while it's fresh in your mind. Look, it's good to support the things that you like or those things tend not to stick around. 
you know, we have a goal this year of getting 550 new or upgrading members. You know, I'm a working writer. My Dead Pilot Society producing partner, Ben Blacker, is a working writer. Our associate producer, Noah Finling's now a working writer. We're busy people, but we love making this show. But it is a tremendous amount of work. But hitting that goal of 550 new or upgrading members will tell us that you out there want us to continue and to bring you another year, another 12 comedy pilots that would otherwise just be left on the dust heap of history. So please, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. And now, back to Greatest American Heroes. We go to Act 2. We're in a diner a little later. Sean and Bill sit in the booth with Byron, who eats brunch. I know. I know it's a lot to take in. No, I think I got it. You guys are from the government. You can't tell me what branch. I'm not under arrest. I get to order anything up to $20, and you want me to try on a suit. Mm -hmm. The suit is alien technology. Government technology. Yeah. Well, let me see the suit. Bill pulls out the aluminum foil ball and unwraps it. What sinks in for Byron is that this is some bullshit. Yeah, I'm, I'm between jobs and I love French toast. That's why I'm not walking away. You really can't go wrong with French toast. Uh, your costume's got a hole in it. He reaches over to touch it and when he does, whoa. The suit clings to his hand, almost alive, and the gunshot hole repairs itself. Whoa. <laughs> We're back in business. He sense a bond growing between the suit and Byron. His eyes go wide. Something good is hitting his brain. Okay. Okay, what is this? Well, the last guy who wore this suit had the same thing. He said it was very pleasurable. Byron is digging it. Okay, I'm feeling this. Let me just ride this out for a second. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, what? Jiminy Christmas. Excuse me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Here, hold it against your chest. I'll show you something cool. Bill starts reaching for his gun, but Sean stops him. Bill. He reholsters his gun. The suit has special properties. We never cataloged all of them, but... It's bulletproof, knife-proof, very breathable. Ketchup slides right off of it. There are certain mental and cognitive effects, too. Enhanced hearing, seeing through walls. Oh, and flight. Are you shitting me right now? I shit you not. Byron lays his hand down on the table with the sleeve draped over it. He grabs a knife and gingerly stabs at his hand. Ow! Ow! Nope! It hurts. The suit is not working. Sean looks at Bill. Looks like it's not all you say it is. Well, the suit augments the wearer's natural energies. It feeds off your mental state. My mental state? Yeah, we never learned the exact mechanism, but the last man who wore this, he had a certain, I don't know, self-confidence, you know, just sort of comfortable in his own skin. Oh, so I gotta believe in myself. Oh, not just that. I mean, yes, but... He had a certain, uh, yeah, yeah, so, uh, like, like I saw a picture of him. He was like 80s masculine. I mean, like he could wear tight pants and somehow you weren't all like, what? Uh, you know, he had, a, he had a cuteness. So I'm not cute enough to get stabbed in this thing? No, it's like, it's like a, a swagger. Like he literally was okay with himself, you know, if, if, if that makes sense. It does feel good on my skin though. Pulls the fabric up to his face and rubs it. 
The suit glows and reacts. It feels good. Okay. There it is. Full body oh. shudder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Write it. 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 When the wave right. passes, he picks up the butter knife again and jams it into his arm. Tink. The knife hits the suit like steel on steel. Oh, damn. Pretty great, huh? Okay, I got two concerns. One, the suit looks dumb. No way I'm wearing the suit on the outside. No one can ever see the suit. Bill nods. That should work. And two, the money. Bill and Sean look at each other. The money. Yeah. If I'm going to fly around and stuff, what's that pay? Well, it's a... Uh... Higher calling. Yes, which must pay pretty well. Do not tell me saving the world is a low-paying job. Yeah, well, the last guy, he just kept his day job. He was a teacher. He didn't get paid? It just didn't come up. Come on, I mean, you can't turn this down. I mean, the suit chose you. We saw it. Yeah, and I feel that. But from my perspective, I think the dumbness of the suit and the non-existent salary are the two main stumbling blocks at this time. He puts down the suit and walks away. Bill and Sean chase after him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Come on, come on, come on, come on, please. Let's think about it. As the please. three of them reach the exit, they're ambushed by a half dozen men in black suits and sunglasses. Black hoods are thrown over their heads and they are quickly and efficiently stuffed into black SUVs. They screech off in a heartbeat. Our three are whisked into a secret high-tech facility and their hoods are removed. They look around at this strange new place. Whatever it is, it kicks the CIA's ass. Huge screens on the wall display maps and stats about smart things like global wheat supply and readiness estimate. Sean looks around, getting her bearings. Uh, sorry for the extreme measures. You're not authorized to know where you are. But rest assured, this is a U.S. government facility. You are with the good guys. I'll be the judge of that. It, this is government? <laughs> no way. Yes, ma'am. Okay, a government agency gets all this shiz. I mean, I mean, look at that screen. That whole wall is a screen. I begged for a 24 inch monitor. You guys have a wall screen. Look at these chairs. I mean, these are $700 chairs for real. Oh my, oh my God, you guys, you get Macs. Huge kitchen, glass conference rooms. Are, are, those, are those real plants? He wanders over to what looks like a pool of milky fluid with three people floating in it. What is what is this, precogs? The agent quickly draws a curtain around them and guides Sean away. Nope, nope, they are not precogs. They are not precogs, but I can't tell you what they are. Well, they ain't cheap. This is why the post office sucks. Agent Taransky? She looks over to see Kelsey and Trent coming out of an elevator. Kelsey? Trent? Hey, party people. Welcome to Project Starlight. Ah, you bastard, you kept it alive. I knew it. Project Starlight. Something these two were never supposed to know about. Trent moseys up to Sean. You have no idea where we are right now, do you? Are we right under our office? Nope. Are we in my butt? No, ew. Why would you even say that? I mean, you must love your own butt. No, come on, mm -hmm. guess. You'll never guess. We're under our office. Nope. We're in my penis. Uh, you walked right into that one. Solid yeah. penis burn. Great. 
Just then, Yvette comes off the elevator, sees Sean, and freezes. Yvette, you're in on this? Classified? We're under our office. <laughs> when you started snooping through the computer, you triggered a classification breach. You were being surveilled from that moment. I was not being surveilled. I was trained to know when I'm being surveilled. And I can tell you that I was not being surveilled. <laughs> <laughs> Your training. You were also trained in the subtle art of traveling inconspicuously. Mm-hmm. Would you like to see how you did? She flips a remote and the big wall screen changes to surveillance footage. A quick montage of Sean's last two days. On the screen, we see Sean at LAX talking to a ticket person. ID? Oh, here. She rifles through her purse and five driver's licenses fall out. She picks one. Oh, here I am. Candace Bergen. We see Sean handing her bag to a checker. Oh, shoot. Wait. He reaches in and pulls out a gun. Oh, this is... Uh, uh, I have a carrying license. Okay, I'll just tell you. I'm CIA. Here. She hands the gun to the baggage checker while she fishes her ID out of her purse. Oh, okay. Here it is. CIA. On the plane, Sean wears sunglasses conspicuously. At a car rental kiosk, Sean again struggles to find her ID. She picks one and shows it to the rental agent. Oh, here we go. Sybil Shepard. Sean checks into a hotel, once again showing an ID. Cody Banks. Outside in elementary school, Sean writes her phone number on a scrap of paper and hands it to a kid. So if you see him again, call me at this number immediately. My name is Kathy Lee Crosby. And we go back to our scene. Jesus, you suck at field work. I'm glad we decided to travel separately. Would you like to see your surveillance tape? No, I would not. And we angle on Byron. He's looking over towards a closed conference room. We pan down to his hands, which are clutching the suit. A slight glow as it begins to have an effect on him. He squints and shakes his head. Something is happening. Byron's POV on the conference room, we can see a window opening up. He can see through it and hear two agents talking. We can hear what he hears, snippets of conversation phasing in and out. The egg of Arimathea. You heard that? Byron nods. Huh. I see the cognitive abilities are coming online. Do you have flight yet? I'll get it. Does he know about the swagger? I've been told about the swagger. Good. Is it is it really like an orgasm? <laughs> Bro, it's indescribable. <laughs> I'd love to pop that thing on if you get a chance. I got a fair amount of swagger going myself. Yeah, I bet if I could get that thing running pretty hot. So are, are they real orgasms? Well, they're, they're more internal. No mess, me likey. Guys, we got a lot to catch you up on. Turns out we found you just in time. We found him. Kelsey turns to a man, Sam, seated nearby. Sam, prepare a briefing for these three. We're wheels up in an hour. Wheels up? Where are we going? We're going on an egg hunt. Sean smiles as we end act two. Act three in the high-tech facility, everyone sits inside the conference room as Sam briefs them. He's an academic type, glasses, long hair, and an earring that Bill can't stop looking at. Uh, this is going to be a lot to take in, so please stay with me. He pulls up a slide of the egg. Egg of Arimathea, rumored to have supernatural powers, but debunked as a fake in the Renaissance. It is indeed very real. What's with the earring? Excuse me? Looks like someone lost a bet, unless you're, uh, <laughs> no judgment. I have an earring. Get over it. I'm trying to. 
Sam pulls up more slides depicting ancient writings. Okay, the egg is not from the past, but from the future. This all makes sense if you recognize that time is a loop. Uh, I don't recognize that time is a loop currently. Well, I'm about a million times smarter than you. So. Yeah, I'm not smart enough to put a dress on with that thing. You don't half-ass drag. That's drag 101. Can we kill him? Probably not. Guys, guys. I'm very sorry for my coworker. Um, okay, so this egg, it's alien, like the suit? It will start to make sense when you see the next slide. He pulls up a slide of Justin Guarini. This is Justin Guarini, runner-up in the first American Idol competition in 2002. Justin's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Vittorio Guarini, was a scientist, a polymath, and an antiquities trader. His relation to Justin is just a cool factoid. Anyway, Vittorio found the lost egg, as well as several ancient carvings, not in Sumerian, not in any language humans had ever spoken. The instructions. A slide shows ancient tablets in a strange non-human language. Sean leans in. This is her jam. He spent his life decoding it. But once he realized the destructive power of this device, he declared the egg a fake and destroyed his work, including the alien tablets. Which brings us to last week. A friend of ours in Amsterdam acquired the egg and was holding it for us. But before we could get it out of the country, it was stolen by a group called the C9. C9? The Committee of Nine, the nine most powerful people on the planet. Sam pulls up a slide with nine multi-billionaires. They are various nationalities, but one thing is obvious. Couldn't get one black man on that committee. A woman? I feel you. I feel you both. Absolutely. There should be representation on that thing. I mean, they shouldn't exist at all. But I mean, if you're going to exist. Agreed. Anyway, this committee of nine rich white males have recovered some of Guarini's notes and are trying to build a Guarini device. Guarini device? For the purpose of this conversation, when you hear Guarini, just think of the worst thing that could happen. So it's a standard snatch and grab. We got to get that thing back. The next image is a satellite photo of a building in the Netherlands. Chinese embassy in The Hague. It's also a C9 cover station. We have intel that the egg is there. The cultural ambassador is throwing a reception for Western investors there tomorrow night. Trent hands out manila folders to Bill and Byron as they open them, pulling out passports and IDs. You fly there tonight. You will be posing as carpet and drapes manufacturers. Looking for a new manufacturing plant. The building's walls are impenetrable by our scanning technology, but not by our new friend here, friend with the sex suit. Love to take that baby for a spin when you're not using it. <laughs> Your mission is recon only. Measurements, camera locations, lock specs, a full security breakdown. You'll locate the lab where the egg is being held and come home. Once we know what we're up against, we'll put together a retrieval mission. So I am saving the world. Absolutely. And that pays how much? We'll talk, but there's no time right now. Here's my package. And stifles a laugh. <laughs> Where's my package? It's funny because girls don't have packages. Fuck everyone. Seriously. You'll stay here and run support. What? You got nothing we need over there, honey. Oh, really? 
you're going to find your way around a Chinese embassy with your crappy Mandarin. Subtitle reads, I speak Mandarin perfectly well, thank you. And the subtitle reads, what you said makes no sense. Mandarin is topic dominant. You meant to say, Mandarin, I well speak. There's a beat as Trent feels the burn. Okay, well, it sounds like she said way more Chinese stuff than he did. So I'm going to need her. I need her too. Same. Fine. Sean's in. Yes. Okay, Andrew here again. You know, if you want to listen to a podcast about politics or true crime or music or books or movies, there are a ton of choices. But if you want to hear comedy pilots from top comedy writers that were never made, featuring the funniest actors in Hollywood, there's really just us. No one else does what we do. And we hear from listeners all the time about they how they wish our pilots had become shows. I mean, here's here's some some tweets from some listeners. Someone said, it's episodes like fun for the whole family that make me really wish the shows on Dead Pilot Society weren't dead. Someone else says, if you've never heard it, Only Child by John Hodgman, this is my favorite dead pilot. He plays his younger and older self. I still wish that this would be made. Someone else says, when I really want to enjoy myself, I listen to My Cousin Thor by Ira Ungerleiter on Dead Pilot Society. I've lost track of how many times I've listened. Look, without us, these pilots sit not even on a shelf, not even in a trunk or whatever. These pilots sit in a digital file on a writer's computer for eternity. The writers never get the satisfaction of hearing their scripts read aloud, and you, the listeners, don't get to enjoy the great work that for various reasons, as longtime listeners know, often because of a regime change at the network, never got past the script stage. So if that's of value to you, if you enjoy this show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash join right now. For $5 a month, you get all of our bonus content. For $10 a month, you get a Dead Pilot Society patch. This is honestly really cool. Uh, we worked with the artist on it and it came out so well. It's this white patch. It's got a black vintage RCA test pattern and the words Dead Pilot Society on it. It's rad. Uh, I love it. You'll want to put that on something. Also really cool, when you join or upgrade to the $20 a month level, you can choose between our Max Fun Creativity Pack or a Max Fun Rocket logo hat. So the creativity pack is this beautiful deck of 54 cards. It's the Max Fun Inspiration deck. Each card has an activity suggestion from your favorite host. Uh, if there's one for me in there. Um, it's designed to inspire you to enjoy friends, to enjoy nature, food, you time, art, other kinds of fun. Uh, the kit also comes with a set of three postcards, a piece of non-hardening modeling clay, a custom Blackwing pencil, just to encourage you to, to make your thing. If you're not into that, you can get the uh, Maximum Fun Drive Rocket logo hat, which is an embroidered, eco-friendly cap, has an adjustable back. Um, it's, a, it's a good looking hat. So you'll, and at $20, you also re receive the patch. You'll get a letterpress membership card. You'll get all the bonus content. Look, there are gifts at higher levels too, um, but joining or upgrading at any level 
will count towards our goal of 550 new or upgrading members. So please, while you're thinking of it, if you're enjoying listening to Sam Richardson and Rachel Harris and Will Forte and Stephen Root read this great pilot, if you've ever enjoyed one of our dead pilots or interviews, please join us as a member. It's a good feeling when you support the things you like or maybe even love. I don't want to be presumptuous. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join right now. Now back to the show. We go to the Chinese embassy the next night, establishing shots of Amsterdam at night. Intense, gritty, deep house music fades up. Chiron reads, Chinese embassy, The Hague. The music continues as serious Chinese gate guards allow a limousine to enter. Inside the embassy, the source of the music is an earnest DJ in a Chinese army uniform who works a console with laptops, turntables, and headphones. He's not moving to the music, just hoping the Westerners do. It's black ties, champagne, pearls, tuxedos, Byron and Trent enter, dressed to the nines. All right. DJ Stone Cold, People's Republic in the house. Some hot ambassadors' wives in the house, too. They scan the crowd of beautiful people, and something stops them both. There, by a grand staircase, is Sean, glammed up for the mission. She catches Trent and Byron out of the corner of her eye, just staring at her. She turns to them, self-conscious, and mouths. They stare. She feels her face. Something on my face? Keith? Good. And we had a thing, me and her. Got most of the way to third base before we mutually agreed to tap the brakes and see if we couldn't do a little better. You. All right, everybody in position. It's the 1980s era Lakers, and by that I mean showtime. Trent finds Bill across the room and catches his eye. He nods subtly. The time is now. Sean swallows the last of her champagne and excuses herself. Byron makes his way towards her. Unbeknownst to anyone but us, Trent pulls out his cigarette lighter. We're close on it as he flips it open and flicks the toggle switch. In the security room of the embassy, a security officer observing the monitors reacts as all the screens scramble. He immediately begins adjusting the monitor controls. In the ballroom, Bill staggers up to the DJ, acting drunk. Oh, yeah, well, come on, come on, come on. Let me, let me, let me spin some tunes, huh? You got any, you got any Rockwell in there? Come on, come on, come on. Two uniformed guards politely try to steer him away, but he resists. Sean and Byron watch as the ruckus gets more and more attention. He's playing a little too drunk. Not playing. As the guards wrestle with Bill, he is suddenly gripped by what appears to be a heart attack. He drops to the floor in wincing pain. (gasps) The DJ stutters to a stop. Bill pulls out a bottle of pills, but the cap comes off and the pills scatter. People rush to Bill's aid as Sean and Byron hurry out of the room. In the foyer, just outside the ballroom, Sean and Byron move to a uniformed guard stationed at the entrance to a secure area of the building. She speaks to him in urgent Mandarin. The guard moves quickly into the ballroom where a commotion can be heard. As Bill struggles on the floor, a man loosening Bill's tie, another placing a folded jacket under his head, Sean and Byron head into the east wing of the building. They move quickly down an empty hall. Sean pulls out a small pen-like device and holds it up. She notices the security cameras on the ceiling and she aims the device. She hits the button. A a blue laser grid appears to scan the hallway. You see anything? Byron stares at a locked door. His POV, we see a small window into the room, revealing not much, a plain office. Nothing here. Back in the ballroom, Bill is now sitting up on the floor, slowly recovering. Mm. The guard, Sean alerted, gives Bill a sip of water. Nearby, Trent glances at his watch. Seven minutes, 20 seconds. In the East Wing, Sean touches her ear to talk into her earwig. 
720. Dawn scans a door lock with her device. Byron peers into various offices, seeing nothing significant. Something startles him. Through that? I didn't hear anything. There's a beat, and then we hear approaching voices. Cool. You're hearing. Shit. They look around for a place to hide. It's too late. A Chinese man and woman see them. They're in lab coats. It restricted. You are not supposed to be here. Byron freezes. Sean sidles up to him, feeling him all over as she speaks to the woman. Oh, sorry, man. We were just, you know, looking to get some privacy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she kisses Byron completely with an unsexy amount of tongue. Then she says something to the woman in Mandarin. Are they buying this? The woman points. Supply closet. Thanks, ma'am. She offers her fist and the Chinese woman cautiously fist bumps it. They head up to a door that looks serious. The man swipes a key card and they walk in. Sean watches for as long as possible, then stops the door with her foot. In the ballroom, Bill sits in a chair now, being examined by a guest who appears to be a doctor. Hovering nearby, Trent casually glances at his watch. In the lab corridor, Sean scans the hallway with her device. Byron stops, looking at a wall. Here. You see it? Yeah, and I feel it. Well, that's weird. Sean scans the door lock. From Byron's POV through the wall, we see a high-tech lab. On a table, surrounded by electronic gizmos, sits the egg in all its glory. Whipping around the egg are light rings, like a model of an atom, but real. The smoky blue lightning inside expands as if taking a breath. Byron feels something. Whoa. I think it's talking to me. I think it's showing me something. His pupils dilate as his mind gets blown by something. What do you see? Pretty sure I just saw how the world ends. He leans against the wall like he's been kicked in the stomach. Oh, man. Oh, that was nasty. That's how it ends? What? What? How does, how does it end? I mean, I can't even... Sean hears Trent in her earwig. Nine minutes, 45 seconds. Hey, okay, we're here right now. We got like 10 minutes. Why don't we just grab it? You and me? Yes, can you break that wall? Looks at her. Is this how heroes get made? Let's find out. He steps back and runs at the wall hard. He dents it. He takes another run and down it goes. Sean and Byron climb in through the hole. In the lab, as Byron grabs the egg and replaces it in its wooden box, Sean speaks into her earwig. We're in. What do you mean you're in? You gotta get out. We've got 10 minutes. We just got the egg. We went for it and got it. You idiot, not 10 minutes to go. 10 minutes elapsed. Elapsed? Yes, elapsed. Why would I give you to, to, to go? I don't, I don't know. I just assumed. That you... Did, didn't you notice the numbers were going up? No, I thought it was weird, but I didn't want to ask. In the security room, the security officer's on the phone describing his crashed system when the monitors flutter back to life. In the lab, an alarm sounds. Byron grabs the, eggs, the egg box and bolts out of there. In the ballroom, there's chaos as uniformed security with big guns rush in, shouting for everyone to lay down. Trent and Bill run out. In the lab corridor, Sean and Byron run. Sean speaks into her earwig. We've got the egg. We're in the Northeast corridor. Need an exit. Trent and Bill run down an empty hallway, chased by guards. 
You need an exit? We sent you to map the exits. John and Byron turn a corner to see a guard who notices them. They turn and run the other way and find themselves at a window looking out. They are two stories up. The guard is charging. You're going to have to fly. Damn. How do you know? I just know. The guard is upon them. Wait, wait, wait. I'm cramping. This stuns the guard, who quickly recovers and fires away with his Kalashnikov. Ah! Byron drops the box, shoves Sean behind him, and covers his face. The bullets start bouncing off him. They're both screaming like children, and suddenly, one of the bullets ricochets off Byron and kills the guard. The firing has stopped, so Byron peeks through his arms. What the fuck? Trent and Bill rush up. I killed him. I didn't mean to. I mean, in a way, he killed himself. I mean, that's, that's a different way to think about it. Yeah, there's about 300 more. They look down the hallway and see a ton of guards coming toward them. Oh, shit. Here, give me the box. I'll divert them. John does. In a sick move, Trent parkours up the wall, kicks out a ceiling tile, and gets himself into the ceiling. Get your ass out of here. Call for an extraction. I'll be on the roof. Go! The force of Trent's voice is enough to send them jumping through the glass. Byron, Sean, and Bill fall out the window onto the lawn. They're bruised, but not dead. As they run away... I think I flew. Nope. No, there was definitely a moment there. I'm pretty sure. Nope. The next day, we're in the secret CIA facility. A dejected Sean, Bill, and Byron look on as Trent, battered and bruised, gets treated by a doctor. Trent, I'm really sorry. Well, I'm just glad we all got out alive. I wish I could have got that egg out, but they had me pinned. They would have got that thing whether they killed me or not. Kelsey storms in, pissed. What in, what in hell made you think you could change the mission without command authority? Kelsey, I don't know what to say. We had a clean shot. I stand by the decision. Oh, you stand by the decision. Well, I'm so proud of your little team for having its own ass. Meanwhile, our operation is blown, and so is the element of surprise. C9 is accelerating their program to have a fully operational Guarini device in 10 days. Send us back. We can get it back. It's not there. They're moving the egg to a secure C9 lab in Switzerland. So now we have to send in an improvised mission to clean up your mess. Okay, well, let's just go. Let's get it back. She starts to get up, but Kelsey stops her. You are on administrative leave until I can figure out what to do with you. What? That's code for you're done. Done? What do you mean? How are you going to fire me? You never even gave me my star paperwork. No W-2, no nothing. No, no, no. Kelsey, you need us. You need Byron. We don't need Byron. We have Byron's DNA. Trent holds up an evidence bag full of urine. Where the hell did you get my pee? This flush-free urinal saves an average of 10,000 gallons of water a year. You could have just asked me for some spit, man. Our tech team assures us they can prime the suit with your DNA and put it on a more self-confident agent. Uh, which would be moi. You're just going to douse yourself in my pee and wear my suit? <laughs> it's a little more complex than that. More or less. There's a beat and then... We're going to need that suit before you leave. Byron has been holding the wadded up suit. He hands it over. That's cold. You people are cold. And that's the end of Act 3. Act 4, we're in the CIA office. Sean sits at her workstation, dejectedly scanning through a matrix of letters and numbers on her computer. She sighs and then looks over at Yvette's empty chair. Her smart card sits unattended. 
Sean wheels over and nabs it. She quickly swipes it through her own card reader and puts it back where she found it. Shortly after, Yvette comes back with a coffee and gets to work, unaware. On Sean's screen, we see her searching for information about the egg. Origins, a 3D model of it, a scan of an Egyptian papyrus, hieroglyphics depicting the egg. This catches her attention. Sean leans in. She can read hieroglyphics. She starts taking notes. Trent walks by with yellow prescription ski goggles. Hey, Sean. Like the new Oakleys? Got the prescription right in them. Agency pays because they're for a mission. He shows her his American Express card. Agency card. Yeah, I get to keep the points, too. Probably have some downtime in the Alps once we clean up your little egg mess. He heads off and she turns back to her screen. She sees something. The hieroglyphics depict the egg. An ancient map of the Nile Valley. Tunnels. She flips through a couple more screens. It's not in the Alps. She grabs Yvette's key card and hurries off. Moments later, Sean exits the elevator and finds Kelsey. Kelsey, listen to me. The egg is not in the Alps. It never left Amsterdam. The egg can't. Sean, you're on leave. Take two weeks, drive up the coast, read a book, learn a new language. I know them all. Dejected, Sean heads out. In Bill's apartment, Sean knocks. Bill opens the door, wearing a kimono. Oh, sorry. Did I interrupt? No, no. Just doing my chanting. Come in. She enters and sits. Bill sits across from her. Listen, um, I've been digging around, and I think Kelsey is really screwing up. I know where. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm sorry. Can you can you put a can you put a pillow over it? We reveal that Bill is sitting open legged across from her with his junk pixelated. Oh, sorry. A little revealing. <laughs> I find that Asian women are less offended by the penis. He covers himself with a throw pillow. That's not remotely true. Uh, anyway. I know where it is. Yes, it's just under the pillow. Uh, no, no, the egg, the egg. I know where they're keeping it. I kept thinking, why Amsterdam? Then I checked. The egg was first discovered by the Egyptians near what we now call Jericho, but they didn't take it home. They built a shrine right there. Why? Centuries later, it was smuggled out through Roman tunnels to Tel Aviv, where it was loaded into the hull of a ship and taken to Venice, where Guarini had built a workshop in the cellar of an abbey. It disappears for six centuries, and then it turns up in Amsterdam. All of those places have one thing in common. They're all below sea level. The egg can't go above sea level. It literally can't be in the Alps. They got bad intel. Hmm. Interesting. I, I checked the satellite scan. Infrared shows it's in the shipyard in Den Helder, probably waiting for a submarine. There's, there's either an egg or a very small, very hot egg-shaped human who's alive, but not moving. Mm -hmm. Have you told Kelsey? She doesn't want to hear from me. And there's no time to convince her. Come on, come on, put on, put on some clothes. We got to get it out ourselves. I'm retired. I found them the guy with the DNA. I've served my purpose. I'm offering you a chance to save the world. You don't want it? She takes a step. He's not moving. That's supposed to turn you. Yeah, I'm getting up. Oh, okay. We're on a DC street. Byron is on a street corner spinning a sign advertising unlimited talk and text, cricket wireless. He gets a call from Nisha. Where the hell have you been? Nisha, uh, I was out of the country on business. Oh, out of the country. Come off it. I called you and it went right to voicemail. Nisha, Nisha. I'm not going to turn on international roaming. You know, Saturday is Marcus's birthday. Yes, I know that. 
All right, just checking. You missed that, and I'm done. I'm not kidding. I won't miss it. He hangs up. Sean and Bill walk up. What's this? Trying to put the band back together? You told me you saw how the world ends. Do you believe you're the only one who can stop it? Byron stares at her. He does. We need to get that suit back. No, we don't. He pulls back his banana costume to reveal he still has the suit. I switched it out with a costume. I had a hunch they were going to take it, and I wasn't going to let this thing go. So the suit they have... It's not going to do them much good. And in the secret CIA facility, Kelsey and Trent stand with a scientist in a lab coat. She fires a gun at a mannequin wearing a Superman costume with the logo sloppily removed. Blam, blam, blam. The suit has three bullet holes in it. More urine? Screw it. We're going to have to do this without the suit. And that's the end of Act 4. Act 5, we're at shipping docks. A nondescript service van pulls up. In the van, our three heroes sit inside. Sean opens up a duffel bag, revealing a mishmash of spy supplies, radios, grappling hooks, night vision goggles, etc. Hey, I grabbed whatever tech I could get my hands on. Good spy only needs two gadgets, his brain and his dick. Sean hands Byron an earwig and a clipboard. Okay, you're going to need this earwig. You're posing as a C9 liaison named Carl Moss. Tell the receptionist you have a delivery from Mr. Spencer. She'll know what that means. She'll act like she's making conversation, but it's actually an ID test. C9 operatives aren't allowed to know each other, but have been trained to ID each other through what sounds like small talk. Don't worry. I'll be here on the computer helping you through it. You need her to open the building's sixth gate for a last-minute delivery. Once we get the truck in, we can pulse the building and shut down their security. That should give us 45 seconds, which hopefully is all we need. How are you feeling? Confident. We're outside building 40 later. As Byron approaches the building... Testing. Can you hear me? In the van, Byron's voice is cutting out. There's magnetic interference. Mm, I can route it through the backup satellite, but it's going to cause a pretty big delay. We're just going to have to roll with it. Byron, just know my answers are going to be delayed. Try to stretch it out. Inside the building, Byron approaches the receptionist. Excuse me. I'm Carl Moss with a delivery for Mr. Spencer. Ah, welcome. How was traffic? Byron smiles at her, a little sweaty, not knowing what to say. In the van, Sean listens on her headset, searching her computer for the correct response. How was traffic? How was traffic? Oh, traffic was a bitch. Say a bitch. Inside the building, Byron stares at the receptionist. She moves on to the next question. How is your wife? Carolyn, is it? A bitch. The receptionist reacts, puzzled. She moves on to the next question. Uh, did you read about that gorilla they had to put down? Byron listens to his earwig and then... He is the love of my life. Okay, uh, they're saying Meryl Streep should play the zookeeper in a movie. What do you think of her? Sometimes death is the most humane option. Okay, we're ordering lunch. Curly fries are regular. I'm all about that skin. Speaking of zoos, I can never remember the difference between an African elephant and an Indian elephant. Uh, the shape is different, but they taste the same. The receptionist jumps up and whips out a gun. Wait, wait! This stops her for a beat. Then she goes ahead and fires. The bullet ricochets off him and goes right through her forehead. She drops dead. I said, wait, that's on you. He jumps over the counter and looks at her control panel. He quickly locates a button that says gate six and he pushes it. Then into his earwig. 
My gate's open. He runs down a hallway to a corner, pulling out his map. He turns left down a hallway to our left. A beat later, he runs back the other way. As the gate opens, the van pulls in. Inside the van, Sean pushes a button on an electromagnetic pulse generator. Everything around them goes dark. She jumps out and starts running towards the warehouse. In building 40, Byron runs down a darkened hallway illuminated by red emergency lights. He finds a double door leading to a warehouse. Byron runs in and is surprised to see two guards at the entrance. Hey, man, how's it going? Y'all good? Crazy power outage, huh? They don't buy it for a second. They open fire on Byron. Bullets ricochet everywhere. He runs, zigzagging towards a pallet of crates as other guards join the chase. Sean runs up, also carrying an AK-47. We'll go. I'll hold them. He pulls the trigger. Nothing. She releases the safety and tries again. Still nothing. What are we doing wrong? Just get behind me. Sean pulls back to use Byron for cover. Bullets are flying. We're tight on Byron's eyes as he scans the crates. There it is. Runs up to a crate and punches his hand into it. He pulls out the ornate box and checks inside. The egg. Let's go. Let's go. Sean finally gets the gun working and blasts a thousand rounds Pacino style, killing all of the guards. Sean and Byron stop. Byron gives her a look like, damn. I got one too, you know, in the front office. They exit through the big elephant doors and just as they get out, the biggest C9 guard appears on their right, an imposing goon strafing them with bullets. Let's call him Killer. Left. Sean and Byron run left, dodging his fire. Can you fly? I don't know. Sean pulls a hook out of her belt. Hold on to me. Byron looks over to see Sean shooting a grappling hook up to the roof. Byron grabs hold of her. Sean hits a button on her harness. Up they go as bullets strafe the building. Outside the warehouse, Sean and Byron are rapidly ascending, pulled by her harness as the killer strafes the sky. Sean and Byron ascend upward quickly as bullets whiz past them. Byron looks down at the egg box, which is hot and glowing now. Sean, the egg! The killer fires with all he's got. Sean hits the kill switch on the winch. Bullets strafe them as they hang there, exposed. Look out! And he kicks against the wall, swinging them out like a pendulum. They swing back, faces filled with fear as they approach the brick wall. Swing! He pivots around so that his back hits the warehouse. They crash right through the bricks and hurtle inside the, the second floor of the warehouse. Shattered bricks rain down as they drop to the ground. Back on the ground floor, Killer hurries into the warehouse building. Upstairs, Sean and Byron painfully climb to their feet, scan the room. It's an abandoned sewing factory. There's overturned desks, sewing machines, and scattered mannequins. They take off for the stairway, but as they reach it, they hear the sound of footsteps charging up from below. Killer races up, AK-47 raised. He reaches the top, entering. When he gets to the top, he scans the floor. There's no sign of them. He advances slowly, then hears across the room a freight elevator. He sees their silhouettes on the elevator heading down. He races back toward the stairway. Back downstairs, he raises his AK and fires. The wooden slats splinter as they glide open to reveal two totally blasted to shit mannequins who have been posed in a sexually suggestive position. The killer is stunned, realizing just a moment too late that he's fucked. Sean and Byron appear behind him, a sloppy karate chop from Byron, and he's out cold. In the alley, they race out. See that? That was jujitsu. You see that? They turn a corner and find themselves five feet away from killer. Furious, he raises his gun. Their eyes go wide as he cocks the gun. 
How are you not dead? And that's when the white van comes from the side and plows him over. It screeches to a stop and Bill opens the window. Let's go. In the van, now the three are driving down a picturesque coastal road. Sean types on her laptop, which is hooked to a satellite phone. Team Zulu 12 in position of the egg, heading to safe house in Den Hilder. Several C9 operatives killed. Tell them about my kill. You're one? I have like 20. Guys, guys. It's unbecoming for an agent to compare kills. Besides, the guy I got was obviously a capo. Did you see that watch he was wearing? It was like a $15,000 watch. Byron holds up the Rolex that Killer was wearing. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah, and we're splitting we're that, splitting three, that ways. three ways. By the, oh, that's company property. That is company property. <laughs> Suddenly, there's a light in his rear view. Uh-oh. We go wide to show they're being chased by four nasty-looking Humvees. Guys hang out the windows and start shooting. How the hell did they find us? They're rich white men. They can do anything. All right, yeah. all right. Buckle up. I'm going to show you guys how to drive. He gets ready to floor it and lights from the sky as a helicopter appears right in front of them. Nope. Thought I had something. <laughs> what the hell do we do? What do you mean, what do we do? We give him the egg and hopefully live. We give them the egg, the whole world dies. But, I mean, we'll have a couple good hours. You know, we can go to town, get some weed. We've got to hide. Jesus Christ. We've got to hide it. How are we going to hide it? Give me the egg. I'll put it up my butt. What? I'll put it up my butt. Trust me. I've tried this once before, and I know what I did wrong. Okay, they'll, they'll find it up your butt. That's the first place they'll look. They're looking up our butts? Well, then what's the plan, Sally Struthers? I don't know. If we hide it, they'll just torture us to find it. They'll torture us? Byron clutches the box tighter and tighter. What the hell did you do? Why did you drag me into this? I never wanted to save the world. I just wanted to be a hero. As he rants, pop, the box disappears. Where'd it go? Still holding it. They look at Byron, holding nothing, but holding it very tightly. Invisibility. That's a new one. Slam! A Humvee crashes into them and we fade out. End of Act 5. It's Act 6. We're in an interrogation room. Sean, Bill, and Byron are strapped into chairs. A two-way mirror obviously hides an observation room. A scary-looking Chinese translator stands before them, as well as a truly terrifying doctor. A pitch-shifted voice booms in Mandarin from the speaker next to the mirror. The egg. The egg. Don't tell them. Nobody break. Too late. I'm broken. They can't kill us. We have what they need. The egg. The egg. The doctor sorts through various scary medical instruments on a tray. Sean speaks in subtitled Mandarin. We tell you, you kill us. So we have nothing to lose. You have something to lose. Your teeth. The doctor picks up a dental drill. Bill and Byron more or less shit themselves. Sean scrunches her face. Something doesn't add up. She says in Mandarin. Don't you mean your teeth you have to lose? Trent. The light on the other side of the glass turns on, revealing that Trent was the man behind the pitch-shifted voice. Got me. A dozen C9 mercenaries in black uniforms come out, followed by Trent and a couple other slick-looking C9 agents in suits. Trent's in a leadership role here. 
you're a C9. Ding, ding, ding. Wanted a little extra cash. Seemed like a pretty good gig. Man, it was so easy getting that thing back from you at the embassy. Unbelievable. Well, look, now that my cover is blown, I can't let you go. So why don't we do this? You give me the egg. I'll flee with my buds here and uh, you can go home as heroes for outing me. Or you don't give me the egg, you die here. And I just head back to the office, check the email, forward some yuck yucks to the gang, continuing with the whole double agent thing. That's not going to happen. Why? Because my boy's got a birthday party on Saturday. And if I miss it, I lose him. Byron rips himself free and swiftly knocks out the translator and the doctor. The soldiers point their weapons. I wouldn't do that. People have real bad luck shooting me. They open fire. Byron deflects bullets like a pro, untying Sean. Byron then takes two steps towards Trent and flies right at him. He's unsteady but determined. Trent and his C9 buddies bolt as Byron takes fire from everywhere. He crashes into a wall but gets back up and dispenses with a couple of soldiers, kicking their guns back to Sean, who has untied Bill. The three of them take care of the rest of the soldiers. You flew. I flew. Let's go. Byron grabs Sean and Bill and jumps out of a window, flying. On a coastal road in the Netherlands moments later, Byron flies in wobbly with Sean and Bill landing by the wreck of their van. He picks up the invisible box, which becomes visible. Let's get to that safe house. The secret CIA facility, Sean, Bill, and Kelsey stand in the bullpen. You showed good instincts, and you exposed a dangerous threat. Does this mean we're back in? Absolutely. We could use you. Use me? Man, you need me. So let's talk about the money. <sighs> well... There's a standard starting package for a field agent. Human resources can set you up. Now, I'm not talking human resources. I'm talking to you. He points to a guy at a desk. Hey, what's that guy make? I'm not going to tell you what I make. Bitch, I can see your paycheck in your desk drawer. It's 2,403. So as soon as somebody can times that by 52, we'll have our answer. 100 even. 125. Across from the guy sits a female analyst who's immediately incensed. She slams her desk. 125? Okay, first, you gotta take care of that lady right there. How you doing? And then, you're gonna pay me twice what he gets. 150. Deal. Oh, damn it, why'd I say deal? Okay, I got one final thing. This whole thing, this has to move out to DC so I can be close to my boy. No way. Byron slams his hand down on a desk, demolishing it. We can look into that. By the way, how are we getting the egg out of Amsterdam? How? We're airlifting it to a NATO base in Copenhagen. Oh, God. I forgot to... And at an airfield in Amsterdam, a helicopter is surrounded by U.S. Special Forces soldiers. The pilot gives the thumbs up and takes off. A beat later, it explodes. Back in the facility. Never mind. We go to a DC park. Marcus's birthday party picnic is in full swing. Nisha checks her watch. Byron drives up in a brand new car. Sorry I'm late. Oh, this is you? I told you I got a job. At the carpet and drape company? Sean and Bill walk up. Yep. Oh, hey, these are my uh, co-workers. Uh, Nisha, this is Bill, and this is Sean. 
from the carpet and drape company. Yes, yes, we'd love to sell you some carpets and drapes sometime. Oh, Byron said it was a manufacturer, not a store. Right. Because when I heard he worked at a carpet and drape company, I said, maybe I can come in and check out the carpets and drapes. But then he said it wasn't a store. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, uh, we occasionally get samples of carpets and drapes that we sell to people direct. Well, I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have any in right now. <laughs> okay, well, keep me in the loop. He pulls Marcus aside. If you see drugs, you call me. And she heads off, leaving the four of them. And that is the end of our show. Okay, that was Greatest American Heroes. And I'm here to ask one more time that you become a Maximum Fun member. Because as, as I said before, as, as many of you know, I'm a television writer myself. You know, I, I wrote on Friends for, for seven years. I, I've had a fair amount of success in the television business. I've sold a lot of pilots, I've shot pilots, I've run shows. But I've also had a lot of what would be considered failures. You know, pilots that never got made, shows canceled quickly. And I realized that people don't talk about those things. You know, they're happy to dwell endlessly on their successes, but those successes make up only a small part of the show business experience for the vast amount of people. And that's just in Hollywood. That's generally true. I love that being on Maximum Fun allows me and my team to make this show the way we want to to pick the pilots we want to hear, to the writers we want to talk to, the actors we want to cast. You know, to, to have this opportunity to chip away at this toxic culture that makes people feel shame when they don't have some giant commercial success. And you know, every writer we've ever had on the show has been so excited to hear their work read aloud for the first time. Actors love coming to get to play and do their thing without the pressure of some network exec firing them for some stupid reason after a table read. We do this podcast for the sheer joy of creating, for the uh, the fundamental spirit of the show, part of show business, putting on a show, not worrying so much about the business, but we do have to worry about the business side a little. Once a year, we have to come to you and ask you for your support. So please, Give it $5 a month, you get all the bonus content. Give it $10 a month, you get the bonus content, you get the incredibly cool Dead Pilot Society patch. Give it $20 a month, you get the bonus content, you get the patch, you get the creativity pack or the rocket logo hat. But whatever you do, please be a part of that fraction of the audience that decides that this show has value to them and they want to support it and keep it going. Go to MaximumFun.org join. On behalf of myself, my Dead Pilot Society producing partner, Ben Blacker, our associate producer, Noah Finling, and our editor, Jordan Katz, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be back next week with our interview with the creator of Greatest American Heroes, Andy Bobro. Until then, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening and for considering supporting us by becoming a member. MaximumFun.org slash join. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.